The uh, scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 21. I'll be joined by my brother Eric here. Um, if you'd like to follow along in your, uh, in your bi- pew Bibles, you can find the passage on page 745. All right. Luke chapter 21, verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And when will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put you, some of you, to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. 
Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. This is God's word. Good morning. Howard Camping was the president of Family Radio Christian Network for many years, in fact, until last year. Family Radio Christian Network is a network of Christian radio stations with a large catchment. In fact, their translations go into 40 different languages across the entire world. A few years ago, their net worth was estimated at 120 to $130 million. And just two years ago, they got $20 million in donations. Now, Camping was an engineer by training. And as many engineers, he was fascinated with numbers. And in particular, since a very young age, he'd always look at the Bible, especially when there's a number there, and wonder, why is this number there? There must be a reason. And so throughout year after year, He began to calculate these numbers, and he finally came up with a mathematical formula of the end of the world, the end time. He took the great flood from Genesis and other passages like 2 Peter, and he came up with when Judgment Day would come and when the end of time would come. Do you know what his calculation gave? May 21st of 2011 would be the Judgment Day. And October 21st of 2011 would be the end of time as we know it. Well, of course, when he said that, it brought up a large uproar. Christians around the world, non-Christians, said, you're crazy. How can you know the hour or the day? Jesus tells us so. But this didn't stop camping and his family radio network from spreading the news. You might recall from last year. In fact, 3,000-plus billboards were put across the world. $100 million was spent in advertising, more money than could be spent to feed the poor children in Africa. One retired transportation worker spent his entire savings, $140,000, to advertise And in a remote village in Vietnam, one of the pastors convinced half of the congregation to sell all their belongings and join him awaiting the arrival of Christ. Well, what happened? May 19th came and went. May 20th came and went. May 21st came and went also. And October 19th came and went, October 20th came and went, 21st came and went, and now we're sitting here in February. The end time never came. And Howard Camping resigned from his post. So brothers and sisters, can we know when the end is near? Should we calculate through the numbers of the Bible and come up with a date and time. Perhaps more importantly, 
Are we ready for the end? Today's passage that we look at in Luke 21, 5 through 38, is going to give us a little bit of insight to that. So turn, if you will, with me to Luke chapter 21 through 5 through 38. And as you do that, you can open up your bulletin today. And if you do to the second page, you'll notice, for those of you that have heard me before, you know that I love giving you a, a detailed outline. So I've strayed a little bit from my blank page, and today I actually have given you an outline because it's sort of a dense passage that we have today, some 30-odd verses. And just to give you a little insight, there's two major themes that I'm going to go over today, the first being know what we can know. You see that right there over A. I filled out mine this morning. And the second theme is know how we can prepare. And so with each one of these themes... You're going to have a couple major points that actually contrast with each other, and we're going to get to these shortly. Before we do so, we have the little introduction that Jesus gives us in verses 5 through 7. I'll read for you again. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Well, you must understand that the Temple of Jerusalem was a magnificent site. In fact, King Herod the Great rebuilt this temple, and it took him almost 80 years to build it. In fact, he completed it in AD 63 or 64 only seven years before that temple would be completely annihilated. King Herod used gold and marble and tremendous tapestries so that as you walked by, you couldn't help but look up in sheer wonder and amazement. I've always had a a fondness for cathedrals, and it reminds me of the time that I walked by the cathedral at Notre Dame in Paris, in Westminster Abbey in London. When you walk by, you just can't help but marvel at these cathedrals. And it was the same thing for this temple at Jerusalem. And so the disciples were walking by, and they couldn't help but stare and marvel at this temple of Jerusalem. But Jesus, as he has done so many times in Luke for us, he turns their attention away from the temporal, temporary, And he turns it instead to the eternal and the everlasting. And he says to them in verse 7, or in verse 6, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on top of another. And so he piques their interest. And naturally they ask him in verse 7, Teacher, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when they are about to take place. So now as we get into the meat of the passage, we get into the first major theme, which is know what you can know. And the first point, number one, under that, is know what does not foreshadow the end. Again, know what does not foreshadow the end. The first thing that does not foreshadow the end is actually not found in verses 8 through 11, 
That happens second. But the first thing is in verses 12 through 19. You see, if you look at verse 12, you see that it says, before all this. So before all that happens in verses 8 through 11, what happens in verses 12 through 19 occurs first. So the first thing that does not foreshadow the end is found in verses 12 through 19. And it is persecution that provides the opportunity for testimony. Again, persecution that provides the opportunity for testimony. Jesus says to the disciples, before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They'll deliver you to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You'll be betrayed even by your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they'll put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a single hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you'll have eternal life. Persecution will necessarily come to disciples, but it does not foreshadow the end yet. They're going to be thrown to the kings and the governors of that time. But Jesus exhorts them. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about what you're going to say to them. For I'm going to give you words to say. Just stand up strong. And you will inherit eternal life. So the first thing that does not foreshadow the end is persecution that provides the opportunity for testimony. And the second thing is found in verses 8 through 11. If you're filling out your bulletin, it's part B. And under that, you would write false claims, social chaos, and natural disasters. Again, that's false claims, social chaos, and natural disasters. In 8, Jesus replies, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. But do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first. But the end will not come right away. And then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs in heavens. You see, social chaos must occur. Social chaos, meaning wars, kingdoms rising against kingdoms, governors fighting against governors. That must occur, but it does not foreshadow the end, specifically here, the end of the Temple of Jerusalem. Secondarily, natural disasters are going to take place, like earthquakes, famines, pestilences. But again, this does not immediately foreshadow the end of the temple. And finally, there's going to be false claims. There's going to be prophets coming, saying they're Jesus. But don't believe them, because they aren't. Again, this does not foreshadow the end. So now we see that for the disciples, 
There are two major points that do not foreshadow the end. Number one, persecution that provides the opportunity for testimony. And number two, false claims, social chaos, and natural disasters. They do not foreshadow the end, and specifically for the disciples, the end of the temple in Jerusalem. But what about for you and I? Do they foreshadow the end? No, they do not. For although Jesus is explicitly speaking of the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, he's kind of implicitly also speaking of end times. Because his language is of end times. And so for you and I, persecution provides the opportunity for testimony. And if you recount history since the time of Jesus, certainly Christians have been persecuted time and time again up to the point of today in the Middle East as churches have been destroyed, put on fire, and Christians have been murdered. Persecution has given the opportunity for testimony throughout time, but it does not necessarily herald the end times. And the second point, false claims, social chaos, and natural disasters. Well, surely, if you retrace history, you'll see social chaos, wars, revolutions occurring throughout history, with the most recent revolutions occurring in the Middle East the uprising of the Arab Spring in Egypt, Tunisia, Syria. Certainly natural disasters have occurred throughout time. And you see earthquakes, most recently the earthquake in Haiti. You see hurricanes and tsunamis, Southeast Asia, mudslides. But again, they do not necessarily herald the end. And finally, there's been numerous false claims, false prophets throughout time. In fact, the current leader of the Republican nomination, Mitt Romney himself, is a Mormon. Mormonism, for those of you that do not know, was founded by Joseph Smith. And Joseph Smith himself claimed to be a prophet, getting the golden plates from God himself and translating them. Mormons have added an entire book to the scriptures, the Book of Mormon. In the mid-20th century, there's a young pastor who's interning at the Somerset Methodist Church. He loved the scriptures and he loved sharing the word of God. And he went to a Seventh-day Adventist church to visit one day. And he was enamored by the healing that went on there. And he decided that he was called to start his own church. And so he did so. He started the People's Temple Christian Church. During this time in the 1950s, it was a time of segregation. Blacks and whites, Martin Luther King. And he was actually a big proponent of integration. And he and his wife would eventually adopt a myriad of children from around the world. African-Americans... Koreans, even Native Americans. It would be called the Rainbow Family. Unfortunately, with time, this pastor would become more and more radical in his beliefs and his teachings. He would finally move his church from place to place, 
and end up in Jonestown in 1970. For the next eight years, things became more radical, and this church armed itself to the point that in 1978, Congressman Leo Ryan and a group of newscasters went and visited Jonestown. Unfortunately, Leo Ryan would not make it out alive. To this day, he is the only congressman that was shot and killed while in Congress, and neither would many of the newscasters. On that same fateful day in 1978, Jim Jones convinced almost the entire population at Jonestown to commit suicide by eating pills and cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. More than 900 individuals died that day, the largest mass suicide in the history of the United States. There's been false prophets coming before, and there will be false prophets coming again. But this does not necessarily herald the end times. So now that we know what does not foreshadow the end, we turn to point number two, which is know what does foreshadow the end. So for here, we can turn to verse 20 through 24. And the first thing that does foreshadow the end is the fall of Jerusalem, the fall of the temple. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and the fulfillment of all that has been written. And how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against these people. And they will fall by the sword and will be taken as privileges to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. You see, in 20 through 24, Jesus is actually for the first time directly answering the question of the disciples in what will be the sign of the destruction of the temple. And, you know, it's actually rather obvious because he says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that the destruction is near. But then he goes on to describe it in vivid detail because he says that it's going to be a terrible time when that happens. If you're in Judea, flee to the mountains. If you're in the city at that point, get out. And if you're in the countryside, stay away from the city. And he says in 22 that this is all going to happen because it's the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. These are remarks to the Old Testament prophecies, like in Leviticus chapter 26, like in Daniel, Deuteronomy. And he goes on to say that It's going to be so bad that pregnant women and nursing mothers are going to really be in trouble. There's going to be great distress in the land and wrath against people. And people are going to die. And at that point, the temple is going to be destroyed. And the time of the Gentiles is going to be beginning. What is the time of the Gentiles? It's kind of a twofold answer. Number one, It's the time when the Gentiles rule over, take over the Jews, 
Jerusalem. But for two, the time of the Gentiles is on the flip side, also the time that the gospel, the word of God, goes out throughout all the world. It's the time when the Gentiles have the opportunity to accept Christ. And it's actually the time that we're in now. So the fall of the Temple of Jerusalem and the fall of Jerusalem foreshadows the end of time. Because the Temple of Jerusalem and its destruction is linked inextricably to the end times. When one happens, the second will necessarily occur. It's not a matter anymore of if it will occur since the temple has been destroyed. But it's only a matter of when it will occur. When I was in graduate school as a polymer chemist, I remember teaching organic chemistry to the undergrads. How many of you guys have taken organic chemistry? Ah, it's a mattering of you guys. Fun times, right? I'm sure you uh, enjoy memorizing all those reactions and equations. And it's kind of hard because they don't really make a lot of sense. You just have to do rote memory when you do so. But I always told the students, you know, the best thing to do is just remember the key component of that equation, the key component of that SN1 and SN2 reaction. And that's usually the catalyst, the enzyme, or the chemical that is needed for that reaction to go and be fulfilled. Because when that reagent, catalyst, or enzyme is there, then necessarily that reaction is going to go to the end. And so is the same here. Jerusalem and the fall of the temple is that key linchpin that once it falls, you know that the end is coming. It's not a matter of if it's going to occur. It's now just a matter of when it's going to occur. But of course, we don't know exactly when. So now we know what does foreshadow the end. A, the fall of Jerusalem. And the second thing, B, is found in 25 through 28. And that is cosmic signs leading to fear and anguish. In 25, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. And men will faint with terror, apprehensive at what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory, just like the song we sang this morning. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Cosmic signs are going to occur to foreshadow the end, involving the sun, moon, and the stars. During those grad school days, I was actually working at NASA, Langley NASA Research Base. And it was really fun, to be honest. There was an anti-gravity chamber that I got to go in a couple times. The coolest thing. You step in and you start floating in the air. There's no gravity to take you down. And from that experience, I said to myself, Steve, you, you got to be an astronaut. you got to visit outer space. And so I actually took the application and filled out the entire application to be an astronaut. And I thought it was well on my way until I got to the physical requirements. Unfortunately, four-eyed Steve, 
did not qualify because my vision was not good enough. But I still wondered and was in amazement of the stars in the sky and the suns in the galaxies. So naturally, I would wonder from this passage, well, if I were to ask Jesus, I would say, what cosmic signs are you talking about? You see, when you look at the sun, our sun, and stars, stars can really die in one of two fashions. They can either kind of die out slowly, dimly, kind of like a light bulb that you have that's kind of flickering and finally, ends. But the second way that stars can die is in a fabulous, fascinating death, in a what we call supernova, exploding with light, as the light goes out at 15,000 miles per hour. So I would wonder and ask Jesus, well, when you mean cosmic signs, are you saying supernova? Unfortunately, the honest truth is, we're never going to know the answer until it actually happens, because Jesus doesn't describe it there. But he does say that it's going to be unmistakable when it occurs, for men will faint from terror at these maybe supernova, apprehensive of what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, the sure sign references to Daniel 7, Revelation 1 through 7, is that you'll see the Son of Man coming upon the clouds. It's not going to be a false claim or a false prophet, but it's going to be the Son of Man coming with power and great glory. And when these things happen, Brothers and sisters, lift up your heads. Don't be afraid, for your redemption is near. The last part of this in C is really, should really be under B. It's just kind of like a paradigm that Christ gives us. I call it the fig tree paradigm. For fig trees are interesting. They lose their leaves in the wintertime. And so you necessarily can tell that it's spring and summer when the leaves come back. And so Jesus says, look at the fig tree in verse 29. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So brothers and sisters, now we know what we can know. That, number one, we know what does not foreshadow the end. And number two, we know what does foreshadow the end. But more importantly, the second theme is know how we can prepare. And the first point in that, again, there's a contrast between one and two, is don't face towards the world. That's found in verse 34 and 35. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the earth. Don't face towards the world. Jesus kind of gives us three areas that we should be careful for, watch out for, and that's don't let your hearts be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. Well, dissipation is kind of a SAT word, if you will. But you can think of dissipation as the pleasures of life, perhaps the guilty pleasures that your heart desires. 
drunkenness that you can compare to drunkenness and revelry and anxieties of life. So Jesus is saying here, don't face the world. Don't be too cozy with the things of the world, those pleasures that you love. Perhaps that iPad 2 or the iPhone 4S, is it? Perhaps that new car that you've been eyeing, the sports car of your dreams, or that new house that you've been wanting to upgrade to. Don't be too caught up in drunkenness, in revelry. Don't get too caught up in linsanity. Ironically, I actually love Jeremy Lin. And he's actually the cousin of one of my friends in college whose husband is a pastor in the Boston area at Cornerstone. I think he's actually no longer there. But he's done a great job bringing up his faith, sort of like Tim Tebow. But don't get caught too much in revelry and drunkenness. And finally, don't be too worried about the anxieties of life. What you're going to eat today, what you're going to wear tomorrow, how you're going to raise your kids, which is a topic that we always talk about in our home group. Don't get too caught up in these things. Don't face the world. The second point after that is the contrast, which is face Jesus. And you see this in verse 36. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus says in the Greek, to watch. And that's a command, to watch and to pray. He's essentially saying to us to be faithful in our lives, to turn our eyes towards him and not towards number one in the world. For the end could happen at any time. We really don't know when. Either the end of time or the end of our lives. For some reason, God put me in New York City during 9-11. And during that fateful day, I was actually staying at my cousin's place across from the Hudson River in Tianic and Hoboken, which is right across the Hudson River with a fabulous view of lower Manhattan and the Twin Towers. I remember it was a beautiful sunny day. I was actually playing hooky that day and not doing much of anything. And so we're looking out at the skyline, and it was almost deja vu. I didn't actually see, because it's too fast to see the plane hit the North Tower, but as we were watching TV, we were just kind of watching channel surfing and looking out the window. All of a sudden, all the news media was covering the Twin Towers, and they're smoking on TV. And it's surreal to look up and outside the windows to actually see that North Tower burning crazy sight. Never in my wildest dreams would I imagine that a plane of the size of the commercial jetliner could have hit that North Tower. And as we sat in amazement, watching the TV on one hand and then watching the skyline of lower Manhattan, it was just surreal. We thought, I'll just kind of watch and see what happens. But then not more than an hour later, that second flight hit the South Tower, and it began burning. No way. 
No way that these steel towers, I don't know if you've ever been in the Twin Towers, but they've been built so well by architects. There's no way they're going to fall down. And the unthinkable happened. I saw it first on TV. The tower started going down. And I, as I looked up out the window, there's only one tower standing. And not too many moments later, as you all know by now, that second tower crashed down. The lives of more than 3,000 people were changed that day. They lost their husbands and their wives. They didn't know when it was going to occur, either the end time or the end of their life. But for them, it occurred that day. So Jesus tells us to not face towards the world, but instead to face towards him. Personally, my wife and I have been preparing for our imminent move down to Atlanta. And I've been kind of caught up in buying a house, looking for a place to live, and thinking, oh, I'd rather have this place with high ceilings, you know, granite countertops, they would be really nice. And maybe an extra room for Christopher so he could play around in. And I'm reminded by this passage today that I should not worry about the things of the world. Not build my house of earth and clay, but rather should turn my eyes to Jesus and build instead of houses made of earth and clay, houses that are built on the solid foundation of Christ. My question for you today is, are you facing towards the world? Are you facing towards Jesus? One will help you to prepare for the end times. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time to read this passage. It's somewhat of a difficult and depressing passage. But we know we can take solace for those of us that are seated here that put our faith in you. We know that our salvation is secure. Father, we pray today that you'd help us to identify the things in our lives that are keeping us from facing you, that are taking away our focus, our hearts, and our minds on the world. And you'd help us to instead turn that focus to you. We remember in particular a family in California. And we pray for them, Lord, as they suffer right now. We pray that your peace that transcends all earthly understanding would guard the hearts and minds of that family in Christ Jesus. In your name we pray.